You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. So last week, we began to talk about breaking free. We introduced this new uh, sermon series format where we take one concept, one theme, one idea from our lives, from Judaism, from Torah, and try to unpack it in a more systematic and deeper way over the course of several weeks. Um, And just to recap on the format, um, if you uh, uh, are with us for the whole series, you'll be enriched, by I hope, by doing so. Uh, But if you happen to miss Whenever we do one of these series, if you happen to miss one or two of the sermons in that series, you'll be able to pick up with the next one. So don't feel discouraged coming to the following week and say, well, I didn't hear the one before, so I'm not going to get what's going on next week. You'll get it, I promise. And I'll try to do a little bit of a recap beforehand. So we talked about breaking free. We talked about how uh, there are things in our lives that inhibit us, that hold us back that prevent us from becoming our best selves, from living the best lives we possibly can, from becoming as successful as we possibly can, from flourishing as much as we possibly can. And we talked about how there are a handful, I think, of root causes that are responsible for holding us back. And so this series is all about how identifying what those root causes are and talking about how we break out of those negative cycles, how we break free of those root causes. So I identified last week what I think are four root causes that hold us back from uh, living the lives that we really, I think, want to live and deserve to live, and I identified them as cynicism, insecurity, materialism, and fear. Cynicism, materialism, insecurity, and fear. I talked about cynicism last week, and I wanted to talk about insecurity this week. So as I was thinking about this sermon over the course of uh, the past couple of weeks, I had some ideas kind of swirling around in my head, but was having trouble enabling any of them to really gel I was having a little bit of writer's block. So I wrote to a friend of mine who's a therapist. And I said to him, I'm trying to put together this uh, series on breaking free of the things that hold us back in our lives. And I identified one of the things that are holding us back is insecurity. But I'm having trouble discovering what to say about it or how to say it or why insecurity. I came up with the idea of it being something that holds us back. But then I started doubting myself and saying, well, maybe that's not really a thing that holds us back and finding difficulty saying something about it. So my friend wrote me back. This is why you probably should not have friends who are therapists. He wrote me back and said, hi, Michael. Good subject. I would guess that you are having a bit of writer's block because of how personal is this issue to you. Well, thank you very much. We'll talk about that in a second. I don't immediately have any references or citations to suggest, but I'll try to give you some ideas to work with. 
confidence can be understood as the fullness of presence, to allow oneself to act without doubt. Doubt is often the big obstacle. Insecurity can be seen as a product of self-doubt. So the issue I discovered as I was thinking about this more isn't so much about insecurity. Insecurity is a manifestation of a deeper symptom, and that deeper symptom is self-doubt. I wonder how many of you in this room struggle with that. I know that I do. Um, I find that uh, sometimes that self-doubt, that voice inside of me, of us, that constantly nags and scratches and says, you're not good enough. You're not going to be able to accomplish that. You don't have the abilities. You don't have the skills. You aren't a person that people like being around. You aren't going to make that relationship successful. You're not going to be a good father. We all, in some ways, you're not going to be able to produce that kind of sermon. You're not going to be able to lead a congregation. We all, I think, wrestle with doubts like that, with voice, with that uh, with that voice inside of us that, uh, that, that urges us to say that you're not really enough. You're not really good enough. You're not really strong enough. You're not really beautiful enough. You're not really kind enough. You're not really wise enough. We all, I think, have that voice within us. Some of us is maybe stronger than others. But as my friend the therapist said, it's uh, an issue, I think, from which uh, none of us are really free. And it can be a really paralyzing thing. And I wonder how many of us have refrained from doing things in our lives because of that nagging voice of doubt in our minds and in our hearts that says, you might as well, you shouldn't go for that because you're just going to fall flat on your face. You don't have what it takes to get it done. And we are paralyzed. We refrain from doing the thing that uh, might make us happy or might make us more successful, might enable us to grow, or as we're doing that thing, the doubts persist and cause us to second-guess what it is we're doing and how we're doing it to create a paralysis within us as we're doing the thing, so much so that sometimes it sabotages what we're doing. We've started doing the thing, but it sabotages us. It keeps us from actually succeeding. And then it becomes a negative cycle because that voice says to us, see, I told you so, right? I told you you wouldn't make it. I told you you wouldn't be able to accomplish that. I told you you wouldn't be able to grow in that way. I told you you wouldn't be able to succeed in that way. And here is the proof. Here is the evidence. I remember wrestling with this so many times in my life. I remember when I was uh, um, graduating rabbinical school, it would be a little self-revelatory here because this is something that I struggle with. I, when I was graduating rabbinical school, um, anybody who wants to uh, become a rabbi in a congregation uh, goes uh, to uh, New York for a few days um, and meets with um, all of the conservative congregations who are looking for new rabbis. And I remember for the weeks leading up to that being you know, riddled with this persistent nagging you're going to go to New York, and you're going to sit in all of those meetings, and every single one is going to slam a door in your face. Every single one. 
because you don't have the right constellation of skills and talents and uh, qualities that will enable you to be a, a good rabbi. And fortunately for me, I got a job offer before I went to New York. So I went to all those, I didn't say yes to the job offer first because it wasn't from a synagogue and I really wanted to be in a congregation, but I at least went into New York with that sense of security, that sense of confidence that at least I had the thing to fall back on, thank God, because I might have gone to New York filled with those doubts and those doubts probably would have projected themselves into the conversations I would have had and maybe sabotaged exactly what I was doing and trying to accomplish. And then again, you have the cycle of, see, I told you so, of the doubts. So the nature of self-doubt in that way is why uh, Shakespeare wrote, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Sylvia Plath, the great writer, poet, said the worst enemy to creativity is self-doubt because it inhibits us, it prevents us from taking risks and taking chances. So I was wrestling with this idea of self-doubt and I was studying the parasha and it occurred to me that the central figure in the parasha, in the Torah portion, Moses, is the poster child for self-doubt. In last week's Torah portion, God commissions Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, in several instances, says, I am not the guy for the job. And he gives excuse after excuse after excuse to God of an argument of why he's not the guy for the job. And in this week's Torah portion, he repeats himself. He repeats his, uh, his objection. He says, Vayomer Moshe lifnei Adonai, ani aras fataim, Moses appealed to the Lord saying, See, I am of impeded speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, what you need to know about what Moses says there is that we have no indication from the Bible other than Moses' own testimony to this fact that Moses actually had impeded speech. God doesn't acknowledge that Moses has impeded speech. He doesn't say, oh yeah, you're right about that, but we'll figure something out. That's not what God says. We don't know if he did. Moses says he did, but nobody else says he did. And as you go on further in the Bible, and you see Moses give long and eloquent and beautiful speeches to the people. So at the very least, if Moses has some kind of impeded speech, he is able to overcome it over time. But I have a sinking suspicion that he never really had impeded speech. He just felt like he did. He had that voice inside of him that said, no one's ever going to listen to you. No one's going to care what you have to say. So Moses says... Moses reveals his self-doubt to God. He says, that's the reason I can't go to Pharaoh. That's the reason I can't leave the children of Israel from Egypt. 
And here's what God responds to Moses. The Lord replied to Moses, See, I place you in the role of God to Pharaoh with your brother Aaron as your prophet. If you look carefully at the Hebrew language there, the English doesn't really quite capture the ambiguity of what God is actually saying. So let's look at the Hebrew very closely. By Yomer Adonai, the Lord says, El Moshe to Moses, Re'eh, look, Netaticha Elohim leparo. I am going to place you, God, to Pharaoh. So maybe that's, I'm going to place you as God to Pharaoh. It could be, as the translation suggests, I'm going to place you in the role of God to Pharaoh. It could be, I'm going to place godliness in you for Pharaoh. There's a lot of things that that passage can mean. And then we have the second part, Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. And again, that passage, I think, defies easy explanation. It might mean that Aaron will be your spokesperson. Maybe. But not necessarily. So what is God giving Moses here that might actually be able to help us break free from self-doubt? So what I think God is saying to Moses here in saying, Behold, I give you or I place you God before Pharaoh. God is saying a few things to Moses. The first is, we are all of us B'nai Elohim. We are all of us children of God. We are all of us created Elohim. We are all of us created in the image and the likeness of God according to the book of Genesis. Which means that on some level what God is saying to Moses here is actually nothing special or unique to Moses and the role that Moses is in. God is reminding Moses of who he actually is. Moses is inherently godly which means that he is inherently powerful, he's inherently good enough, he's inherently capable enough, he just needs to know that those qualities are true statements about himself. So God is saying to Moses, you are as God. You are created in the image and likeness of God, and because of that, don't focus on the doubts of what you might not be able to do. Focus on what you are definitely able to do, and you are definitely able to bring God's kindness and mercy and justice and compassion into the world. You are the right guy because you have godliness in you. And when God says to Moses that he should be placed in the role of God to Pharaoh, there's another thing that God is saying, because what do we know about God? God, according to the Bible, is El Rahum Vechanun, Erech Apayim Chesed Ve'emet. God is, at God's core, according to our scripture, compassionate and truthful. We say, as someone passes away, Baruch Dayan Ha'emet, praised is the true judge. Because God is a true judge. And so often, we are not true judges of ourselves. We allow ourselves 
to be swept up in the negative thoughts about what we don't have and what we can't do and who we aren't, that we don't give ourselves enough credit for who we are, what we're capable of, what we can do, how great we actually are. We allow the scales of condemnation to way outweigh the scales of praise, even though if we are honest with ourselves, that's probably not true for any of us. And so when God says, behold, I'm making you God to Pharaoh, God is saying, I am trying to inspire you to judge yourself truthfully and honestly, because you are not defined by your impediments. You are defined by your capabilities. And so therefore, don't let the doubt consume you or prevent you from achieving what you might achieve, because it's not the doubt, it's not the flaw that is causing me to choose you, it's all the strengths that are causing me to choose you. And similarly for us, the way to overcome the doubts that we have about ourselves is to be true, honest, and compassionate judges of ourselves. There's another thing that God is saying when God says, I'm making you God to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, as uh, many of us know, um, considered himself to be a God. In the Haftorah this morning, uh, we hear God sort of mocking Pharaoh for saying, Ye'orli ani asitini, uh, which means uh, the Nile is mine and I made it. Right? That's what Pharaoh says. That's uh, the flip side, of course, of this whole conversation is the opposite of self-doubt might be self-aggrandizement, but, but usually self-aggrandizement is actually a product of self-doubt. That's the dirty secret. So I'm not afraid of us becoming like Pharaoh, thinking that we made the Nile. I'm much more afraid of us thinking that we aren't even capable of swimming in the Nile. I'm afraid of us being in denial about who we really are. And so Pharaoh, but Pharaoh, even if he's not really a god, thinks of himself as a god, all the Egyptians think of him as a god, he's a big deal, he's a big guy, right? I can imagine being Moses and being terrified and being intimidated to stand in the presence of Pharaoh. Moses saying, who am I to stand before Pharaoh? He's the most powerful person in the world. And Moses, and God says to Moses, I am making you as God to Pharaoh, meaning remember that even though Pharaoh might have a palace and a crown, you are Pharaoh's equal by being just as him, a child of God. I remember uh, when I was uh, at my last congregation, um, we had a, a, there was a death in the congregation of a, of a former senator. Um, and it was going to be a huge funeral that I was asked to, uh, to officiate. Um, the vice president was going to be there. Other senators and cabinet members were going to be there. Oyve is right. It was, a, it was a whole big to do. And I was terrified of this because who am I to stand before Pharaoh, right? And so I remember calling two of my mentors, my dad and my mentor, Rabbi Brad Artson independently of each other, and they both independently gave me the same advice, which was this. The way I would advise you to handle this funeral is to pretend it's just like any other funeral, right? What my dad said, my dad's a cardiologist, and he says, when I have a VIP patient, the only way I can get through it is by reminding myself 
that they are just a human being who is sick and in need of surgery. And Rabbi Artson said to me, when uh, um, at the end of the day, the person who passed away, though he accomplished a lot of wonderful things in his life, there could be a lot of dignitaries there, was an old Jew who got sick and died. Exactly, right? They do whatever we do. Celebrities, they're just like us, right? So that's what God is saying to Moses here. When you stand before Pharaoh, remember, he is not your better. You are his equal. And that's the way to overcome self-doubt too, because so often we compare ourselves to other people and hold ourselves in light of them. I saw this quote um, as I was researching the sermon that I love, which is the reason that we are so insecure is because we compare our play-by-play to other people's highlight reels, right? And that's the truth of it. And so the way to break that cycle is to remind ourselves that on some fundamental human level, we are all the same, we all have the same struggles, we all have the same moments of triumph, we all have the same flaws, and we all have the same uh, uh, strengths. Not necessarily the same ones exactly, but on balance, we are all of us equal. So what God is saying to Moses here is a handful of things that I think can help us overcome our self-doubt as well. The first is that we should remember that we are each of us children of the Most High. And in being children of the Most High, we are all of us equal to each other. That we have the capacity and the need to be true and honest judges of ourselves and not to let our criticism of ourselves outweigh our praise of ourselves. The final thing that God says to Moses is, Aharon achicha yeh Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet. And that, I think, is another message that God is giving to Moses of how to break free of this cycle of self-doubt. First is that we don't have to walk through this life alone. That we can, when we feel like we're not able to accomplish what we want to accomplish, that we should not be afraid. It's not a, an admission of failure. It's not an admission of weakness to call upon the help of other people who might be able to get us to the finish line. And the second is that a prophet does two things. A prophet speaks for God, but also speaks God's truth to people who need to hear God's truth. So the pshat, the basic meaning of what God is saying to Aaron, to Moses here about Aaron, is that you're going to be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron's going to be your prophet, your mouthpiece, right, like prophets are. But God, I think, is saying another thing, that Aaron is going to be a prophet to you. Aaron is going to speak God's truth about who you are being created in God's image, who you are in a fair evaluation of your character, who you are in, a, in, in, in an empowering sense of what you're capable of. Aaron is going to be able to honestly and truthfully communicate those things to you because sometimes we can't see it for ourselves and we need somebody to stand outside of us and tell us what we don't know internally. It has another feature, which is what a good spouse does. Mine does all the time. 
to tell us in an honest evaluation where we are actually right about our shortcomings. That's an important feature of being a prophet. But more so, ultimately, it's to communicate the truth about who we are back to us. So Moses stands before God and lays out his insecurity and his self-doubt, and God's response is, you have every reason to be confident that you can accomplish what I'm sending you to accomplish. Because you are like God. You are like God to yourself, and you are like God to Pharaoh. And you have the capacity to ask others for help, and you have the capacity to have another project God's truth back onto you. And the message, I think, is true for each and every one of us, that we are and we can be as gods, and we can have our own prophets to help us along the way and to tell us the important things that we need to hear in order to succeed. In the book of Numbers, we're told that the Israelites are unable to enter the promised land because the spies, 12 spies, enter the land and see the inhabitants of the land and come back and tell Moses and the people, Behold, we looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes, so we must have looked to them as well. And the Torah provides a profound message in that. In order to get to our own promised lands in our lives, whatever and wherever those may be, we have to know that when we see ourselves as grasshoppers, the truth of the matter is, perhaps, we are angels.